Amen? So let's look now at this psalm about not fretting. And it says, as a matter of fact, read it with me. Would you, let's just really preach at each other. Read it good and loud with me. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Now today we're preaching on this. Read it with me. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Or as the old preacher said, quit your meanness. Quit your meanness. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you right now for delivering your church from a fretful, agitated mind. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. And for the power of your word to set us free, you sent your word and healed them. Lord, send your word today and heal us and deliver us and settle us in the peace of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and preach to him the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not sweat it. Tell somebody next to you. Thou shalt not sweat it. I like that. We need to learn that. Now, we have been looking at Psalms 37 for the last couple of weeks. I love this psalm. It's one of my favorites. It's all about being delivered from a fretful mind. And remember, a fretful mind is not a worrying mind. I used to think it was talking about worry, and it's not. Fret is taken from a Hebrew word that means to be angry, agitated, simmering underneath, to be unsettled because of what's happening around you. And I want to tell you, folks, we're living in an angry world. And it doesn't take anything to, to set people off. The, the fuses are short in people these days. And that's because we've departed from God as a country. When you depart from God, you lose peace. When you disconnect from God, you lose self-control. But when we are walking with God, we ought not be angry people. Man, I'm talking to some of you. You ought not be an angry man. Ladies, I'm talking to some of you. You ought not be an angry woman that's always set off about this and that. God wants us to be at peace. I've been angry before, and I had to deal with it. God doesn't want us angry, and that's what this psalm is all about. He says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Now, let me just take that word rest because it's a powerful word. It doesn't mean like to kick back in a hammock and rest. That's not what it's talking about. Have you ever noticed that you can rest, you can go on a vacation, and you've been on the vacation, oh, I don't know, a few days, and you, you want to say with that, that movie where the question was asked, are we having fun yet? And have you noticed that you can rest physically but not be rested inside? You can rest but not end up rested. You know why? Because rest is an inside job. Rest is something that has to happen in your spirit. Rest is something that comes from being right with God. When you're no longer at war with your own passions and with God, 
Resting in the Lord is so important. Resting in the Lord, you can rest in the Lord while all kinds of turbulent circumstances are happening around you. You can rest in the Lord. It means be silent to the Lord. Rest means be silent to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? It means be quiet. Now, let me give you three other Bible versions of, of another Psalm, 4610, which is a companion verse, and I like it. I memorized it a long time ago. It says in 4610 of the Psalms, be still and know that he is God. Let go, relax, knowing that he is God. Now, here's some other versions. Let be and be still, says the Amplified. Let be and be still. And know and recognize and understand that I am God. In other words, I've got it. You can relax. I'm in charge. You can relax. I'm with you. You can relax. I'm bigger than your circumstances. I'm bigger than the devil. You can relax. It may look like everything's out of control, but I'm walking on the waves of your storm. Relax. The New Living Version says, be quiet and know that I am God. And I like this one. The Common English Bible says, that's enough. That's enough. In other words, stop being agitated and stop grumbling and stop murmuring. That's enough. Now know that I am God. See, Bible rest carries the idea of being still and being quiet before God. To hush the Spirit. To be silent before the Lord in total trust. See, when you're agitated, you're going to talk. When you're worried, you're going to talk. When you're afraid, you're going to talk. But confidence says, I can be silent before the Lord even though around me are turbulent circumstances, difficult people, situations where I really don't know what I'm going to do, yet I'm going to be silent before the Lord. The Bible says, In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Resting in the Lord means to quietly submit to His will, to acquiesce to all the dispensations of His providence. Be content with what things you have, for the Lord has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It is to trust Him. Be silent before the Lord in total trust. When you trust Him, you're just quiet before Him. Somebody may say to you, how come you're not upset? Because I know God. Well, how come you're not worried? Because I don't have anything to worry about. God given Him my worries. Well, how come you're not afraid? I'd be afraid if I were you. Well, then you're not walking with my God because my God takes my fears and takes my worries and I am at peace before him. So I've got a quiet spirit. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Now let me tell you what resting in the Lord does not mean. It does not mean that we're to be apathetic or uncaring about our circumstances. It doesn't mean that. It's not teaching fatalism where you just kind of let life happen to you and you don't fight, you don't struggle, you don't try to change things. You don't step into the fray and try to do something about it. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying that you lay there like a rock and just let life happen to you with no response or no action on your part. That's not what it's saying when it says rest in the Lord. It, you're not kicked back doing nothing. It's an inside attitude where I trust in the Lord. And what it really means is we're to watch our tongue. We're to hold our peace. We're to not grumble or complain in the presence of God when things don't go our way. 
We are to know that he is sovereign. He is providential. He is in charge of his universe. I don't believe that one dust, one speck of dust flies through the air without the permission of God. I believe the devil is a dog on a leash. I believe that God is sovereign over his universe and he's got you and me in the hollow of his nail-scarred hands. I believe he's walking on top of the waves of the storm of our life. The very things that are threatening us, Jesus is walking on top of them. He's got it. The waves obey him. The thunder obeys him. The lightning obeys him. The storm obeys him. The demons obey him. They tremble at his presence. His name is above every name that is named in heaven and earth and under the earth. We walk with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who is utterly, totally, completely in charge. And he wants us to act like it. You got to watch what you say when times are tough and you're not experiencing what you really wish you were. You're having a struggle and certain prayers have not been answered. Desires of your heart have not come to pass. You're being tested. The word of the Lord is testing you. You're wondering in some areas of your life where God is. Why isn't he answering? Why isn't he moving? Why isn't anything happening? Paul says, be careful what you say. And then he goes back to talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness. And he says, with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. They were written for our learning to the intent that we should not, and then he lists some things, but here's one of them, complain. That we should not complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. I want you to look at what happened when they complained. It opened the door for the enemy to come into their life and destroy them. You say, well, Pastor, that's pretty strong. I know it's strong, but it's written for our admonition. The Bible says, be careful what you say in the presence of God. When you have a resting spirit, when you're resting in the Lord and learning to wait patiently on Him, and you know that God's got it and God's going to answer you and He has not left you, He has not forsaken you, then you hold your tongue. You don't complain to the Lord. Complaining against God literally destroyed the children of Israel. They never crossed the Jordan. They didn't eat the fruit. They didn't drink the milk. They didn't experience the milk and honey. They didn't see the land. Their, their bones bleached white in the wilderness looking over yonder at where they were called to go, but they never made it. And what buried them? Their tongue. Their complaining buried them in unbelief. So when you rest in the Lord, it says, be still, be quiet, hold your peace, trust him. Like the little boy, there was a family of about eight. They were on a long vacation. They stopped at a rest stop. Everybody got out and ran around and relaxed and Everybody hurried back into the car, and they took off. About 30 minutes down the road, somebody said, Hey, Johnny, how are you? No answer. Little 8-year-old Johnny was not in the car. And so the mother freaked out. Oh, no, Johnny. Turn around. You turn. 100 miles an hour back to the rest stop. 30 minutes. They pull up. He's just sitting there smiling. They said, Aren't you upset? He said, no, I knew you'd come back. He was quiet. He knew the character of his parents. Folks, we need to know the character of our God. We don't need to fret. He's in charge. We don't need to be angry. He's in charge. 
Now, the Bible here in Psalms 37 particularly warns us not to fret or grow angry or grumble against the Lord when we observe the prosperity of wicked people, when we see sinners succeeding in their evil schemes, when it seems like they're never judged, when it seems like, and the devil particularly tells teenagers this, but he can tell anybody this, it looks like the sinner, the wicked, are having all the fun. And there you are, you're, you're a Bible thumper, the devil will tell you. You're just a Bible thumper. You're sitting in church all the time, not having any fun. The world's out there having all the fun. And you begin to get envious and you begin to get angry because it seems like, because you know if you did what they did, God would take you to the woodshed that hour. But it seems like nothing happens to them. And you, and you want to say, how come, Lord, you're letting them get away with this? Why are you not judging them? Why are you not executing justice in your world. He warns us in Psalms 37, don't fret, get angry, simmer, get agitated at the seeming success of the wicked. David fell into this very trap. And I believe a lot of believers fall into this trap. And if you're not careful, the devil will lure you into worldly living by making you think and believe that you're missing everything by being in church and walking with God. The Bible says, don't let your heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. David fell into this trap. He said, as for me, in Psalm 73, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful. Do you hear that? I began to envy the boastful, envy the wicked when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He said, I didn't understand it. It almost made me walk away from God. I almost lost my faith. He said, when I tried to understand this, wrap my mind around it, he says in verse 16 of Psalm 73, it was too painful for me. Translated, this was running a number on me. I didn't get it. Why, God, are they getting away with everything? And you don't let me get away with anything. What is the use of walking with God? What is the use of praying? What's the use of going to church? They're living any way they want, and nothing is happening to them. But then David did something smart. He went into the place of prayer. And when you go into the place of prayer, you know what you do? You put on sunglasses. S-O-N, glasses. We need to see the world through sunglasses. Amen? Because when you put on sunglasses, you see your circumstances, your giants, your problems, your issues through the eyes of God and how it changes things. David said, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and that's when he put on sunglasses. He saw the world through God's eyes. Then I understood their end. And now he's going to list what happens to the wicked. He said, surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. That doesn't sound like fun to me. As a dream, when somebody wakes up, so, Lord, when you wake up, you shall despise their image. In other words, there's a payday someday for everybody who walks in the world and lives in sin. And if you feel lured to go off into the world, lured to go off into sin, because it seems to you they're the ones having all the fun and you're not, can I tell you that's a lie from hell. They're not having all the fun they want you to think they are because they are reaping consequences you don't know anything about behind closed doors. And payday always comes someday. The Bible says every day you need to walk in the fear of the Lord and honor God because your payday will come too. But it won't be in negative, terrible consequences. It'll be righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost is your payday. Don't envy sinners. 
David saw the wicked and his own circumstances through God's eyes. And that's one of the beauties of prayer. You can take anything to God. It may look like a giant, giant to you. It may seem impossible to you. But you go into prayer and you say, God, here it is. Here's what I'm experiencing. What do you think of this? And you see it suddenly through the eyes of God. The giants shrink. The mountains lower. The valleys come up. And God says, it's going to be okay. I'm greater than the valley. I'm greater than the mountain. I'm greater than the giant. I'm greater than your enemies. I'm greater than your weaknesses. I'm greater than everything you're experiencing. See it through my eyes. David got so convicted for grumbling against the Lord and not resting in the Lord. He says, my heart was grieved. I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant, Lord. I was like a beast before you. And then he closes with this. He says, here's what's going to happen with the righteous. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterward, receive me to glory. That's the end of the righteous. Now, in Psalm 73, we see David learning the lesson that he gives us in Psalms 37. Psalm 73, he's younger. Psalms 37, he's an older man. And so he tells us as an older man, looking back, here's what you do. Rest in the Lord. Be still. Be silent. Don't grumble. Trust his providence. Feed on his faithfulness. Rely on his goodness. I think one of the biggest lies the devil tells people about Christianity is this one. If you become a Christian, boy, are you taking on a heavy load. You're taking on a heavy load of rules and regulations. Can't this, can't that, thou shalt not this, thou shalt not that. You're not going to have any fun. You're not going to be able to party hardy. You're not going to be able to enjoy life. You're just going to be a Bible thumper until someday you die. And the world's having all the fun. In other words, if you become a Christian, you are really taking on something difficult and hard. And that's a lie. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest. Everybody say with me, rest. Rest for your what? Souls. For my yoke, oh, watch this, isn't hard, isn't heavy, isn't tough, isn't difficult. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. You see, it's sin that's heavy. It's sin that's hard. It's sin that beats you over the head. It's sin that takes life out of you. It is sin that takes your sleep away. It is sin that decays your body and your mind. It is sin that darkens your heart. It is sin that carries you to hell. Not Jesus Christ. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I... My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, a yoke. A yoke is what they would put on oxen uh, as they were plowing a field. And when an oxen had a yoke put on it, it was that shoulder harness looking thing. And then there was a, a, a bit in the mouth. And once that yoke was on that oxen, then everywhere the master wanted him to turn, he turned. And when the master wanted him to stop, he stopped. And when the master wanted him to plow, he plowed. In other words, once the yoke was on that oxen, his life was no longer his own. But he was to do the bidding of the person who controlled the yoke. Now, do you know why a lot of believers don't have peace, don't have joy, are not enjoying what Jesus purchased for them? Because they'll, they'll tell you, oh, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. 
But in their day-to-day life, they don't have the yoke of Jesus on them. The yoke of Jesus is when I look at that Bible and I say, what it tells me to do, I do. When it tells me to stop, I stop. When it tells me to go, I go. When Jesus leads me to go left, I go left. And he's never going to tell you to go left. He's going to tell you to go right. <laughs> but see, there's a, there's a lot of people that, that are really living Christianity light. Christianity light is when, oh, I got my ticket to ride. When the rapture comes, I'm going up. But in my day-to-day life, I don't have that yoke on me. I'm not, I'm not, I have not received. Jesus said, take my yoke, take my yoke upon you. That means you must submit to the yoke of Jesus Christ, his lordship, his leadership, his guideship. So that he's the boss applesauce and you're not. That means in every area of life, we have the yoke on us. Where do I turn, Lord? When do I go? When do I stop? What do I say? What do I not say? And look, Jesus said, for those that take my yoke upon them and learn from me how to live life, that's the person who experiences Christianity being easy and the burden light. Man, come on, church. We have been, we have been inoculated with a lie. There are people all over the United States of America, go up on, on the streets there. Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, how do you live from Monday to Saturday? Well, I just kind of live the way I want to. I just kind of pick the verses that fit me, and the ones that don't fit me, I don't choose them. And I, I just kind of got a few different religions. I, I like Buddha a little bit, and I like Krishna a little bit, and I like Islam a little bit, and I like Christianity a little bit. No, 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 no. When you get saved, you take his yoke upon you. And you learn straight from him, the greatest philosopher that ever walked the earth, the greatest teacher that ever opened his mouth on this planet, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is above all other teachers, all other philosophers, all other preachers, all other counselors. You say, Lord, I would like to this and that, but what do you say? And we put the yoke on. Lord, I, I'm really thinking about going this way, but what do you say? And you put the yoke on. You say, okay, I'll go this. I'm, I'm only going to do what you give me a piece about doing. That's when you rest in the Lord. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Walking with him is a joy. Walking with him is peace. And until that yoke is on you, you can rest all week long physically, but you will not be rested on the inside. Talked to somebody in the first service. He said, Pastor, I walked with God for years. He said, I was one of these that went knocking on doors and took people tracks and I was out there. But the day came when I just kind of woke up and, and after hearing your message, I know what I did. I just threw the yoke off. I said, I'm going to go my own way. I threw the yoke off. I just threw it off. And I decided to do my own thing. And I said, what'd that get you? He said, trouble, lack of peace, turmoil, bad decisions. When I threw the yoke off, folks, we can't throw the yoke off, especially as we see the day of his return approaching. The Bible says we ought to be in church, exhorting one another, encouraging one another in the Lord, especially as we see the day of his return approaching. And oh, I love that yoke. Every morning I get up and I get into the word and I put on that yoke because that's when I have an easy day, a light day, a peaceful day, a joyful day, a restful day. 
Don't shout me down now. I know you're thinking. Some of you need to get rid of Christianity light today and put the yoke upon you. You'll start making good decisions. You'll start experiencing rest. You won't toss and turn at night. And then he says, once you put that yoke upon you and you're resting in the Lord, I want you to learn to wait patiently for him to act. Now, as soon as I see the word wait, I don't like it. I don't like waiting. But notice how he says we're to wait. Patiently. We're to wait on the Lord to act. And that's why the person who's resting in the Lord is just fine with God not having moved yet. They know he's on the way. Nobody likes to wait. Our culture measures everything on the basis of response time. Virtually everything comes to us instantly. We get instant information off the web superhighway. We get food, fast food, microwave food. We don't like anything that has to marinate. We want that turkey on Thanksgiving quick. We don't like to cook it. We go to Luby's and buy it now. If something isn't happening, then we try to make it happen. People sometimes say, and this gives me the creeps, do something, even if it's wrong, do something. No, don't do something, even if it's wrong. It's hard to wait with the right attitude. It's really hard to wait patiently with a good attitude in the presence of God. A woman who was waiting in the checkout line at a local grocery store was fuming. She came to purchase a new broom along with some cleaning supplies, and she was in a hurry. The line wasn't moving fast enough to please her, and she was letting everybody in the line feel her frustration by her body language and her loud sighs. When the cashier called for a price check, which delayed her turn at the counter even longer, the woman snapped indignantly, Well, I'll be lucky to get out of here and home before Christmas. Picking up on her comment, the clerk replied to the woman, Don't worry, ma'am. With that wind kicking up out there and that new broom you just bought, you'll be home in no time. How many of you have ever been that woman? Kathy, how many of you have ever been that woman? There we go. How are you in the waiting department? How do you do when you've got to wait on the Lord? How do you wait on the Lord? You can wait anxiously. You can wait angrily. Where are you? I've been waiting a whole week. You can wait with a negative attitude towards God. Well, it's working for others. Why isn't it working for me? Some people wait fearfully. Oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? But some have learned to wait in an attitude of trust and confidence in a prayer-answering God. True waiting on God is always characterized by hope. Do you know what hope is? It's when you have a confident expectation of good in regards to the future. When you wake up with hope, you don't say, good Lord, it's morning. You say, good morning, Lord. When you wake up with hope, you say, I can't wait to see what God is going to do in my life today. God's got something up his sleeve. He's got something cooking in the oven. I may not be able to see it, but I know he's moving behind the scenes. And so I'm waking up with confident expectation of good in regards to my future 
because I know who holds my future in the hollow of his hand, and he's a good God who said to me, it's your Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, and him that knocks, it'll be open. It's a guarantee that our God wants to do good things. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder. So true waiting on God is you're waiting like a pregnant woman. You're expecting. The whole church ought to be walking around this way spiritually. Hallelujah. How you doing? Expecting. <laughs> hey, what's going on? Oh, I'm expecting. Now, if you're a guy, they're going to look at you and say, what in the world do you mean by that? Oh, I'm expecting God to move. I am pregnant with vision. I'm pregnant with a dream. I'm pregnant with expectation that my God is going to do something new just around the corner. Remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, says God, I will do a new thing. Seriously, <laughs> the things I do up here, just to get over a point. I will do a new thing. Shall you not know it? I will make a way in your wilderness. I will make a river in your desert. I'm going to do a new thing. Open up your eyes and get expectant. Begin to expect God to move and to do good things. Expect that your God is moving behind the scenes in ways that you can't see it. The psalmist said, my soul waits for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. He's talking about waiting in faith, waiting in hope, waiting with expectation. I say my soul is waiting for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. God will keep his word. He is trustworthy. He watches over his word to perform it. Some of you ordered pizza in the last week. You called Domino's based on a promise that Domino's made to you. They said if we don't get the pizza to you within 30 minutes, you get a free pizza. And some of you have... Named it, claimed it, blabbed it, grabbed it, and prayed that they would get there at 31 minutes and you get your pizza free. But watch this now. As soon as you hang up the phone and you've ordered a pizza, a large, thick crust, onions, olives, Canadian bacon, I know I'm going to make you hungry, and there's this pizza. You've ordered it. As soon as you hang up, you begin to prepare for that pizza to arrive. You get the money out of your wallet. You set the table. You get the drinks out. Everybody is walking around expectant. There is not a moment where they go, what if they don't come? What if they don't show? Oh, no, we will starve. What will we do if Domino's doesn't show? You never even doubt it because they gave their word, and they are sinners, and they gave their word. They're, they're full of faults, and they gave their word. They're full of the devil sometimes, and they gave their word imperfect, flawed people gave you their word that when you order a pizza, it's going to be there within 30 minutes with everything that you asked to be on it. Now, what would that pizza guy think? If when he rings the doorbell, you open the door, he said, oh, you made it. We were so worried. We were so afraid. We prayed that you would make it, that you would get, that we would have a breakthrough. Now, let me tell you what he's going to be doing. He's going to be backing up He's going to have one eye on you and one eye on his car. And as soon as he gets to his car, he's making a phone call. Because isn't it going to be odd and strange that you doubted that they would arrive? But what do you think Almighty God thinks? 
What do you think Almighty God thinks? When God says, before you pray, I will answer. When God says, ask, and I promise it'll be given to you. Seek, and you're going to find. Knock, and it's going to be open to you. And yet some of us, as soon as we pray, we go on chewing our nails. We hate having to wait. We hate having to sit back and let God move in his own good time. But God says, trust me, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. He will get it to you on time like you have prayed. He will answer your prayers. We need to trust in God. If you can trust dominoes, you can trust Jesus. Amen. (laughs) Rest in the Lord and wait patiently, in confidence, longingly, expectantly, confidently for Him to act. I've learned through the years that today is not necessarily the prophet of tomorrow. When somebody says, man, this circumstance or this bad report or this relationship doesn't look good, what am I going to do? Oh, things are so dark. I say, well, that's today. That's what I tell myself. That's today. That's not necessarily a forecaster of tomorrow's weather. Today is today. But God can move tonight. God can move in the next hour. The Bible promises his mercies are new every morning. It says that he daily loads us with benefits. The Bible says that God moves in a flash, in a blink. God moves. He moves and changes things on a dime. Wait for God to have the final say. Listen, in a good movie, we happily wait for the end to clear up the plot, don't we? Wow, look at all this conflict. Look at all this interracial, uh, uh, these relationship conflict, and look at all this trouble, and how's it going to end? We don't say, I can't take it, and we get up and walk out. We sit on the edge of our seat. How's the director going to bring this to an end? I can't wait to see how this is going to wind up. Likewise, we ought not to walk away in unbelief in the middle of the story of our life. Instead, stay till the closing scene and let God, the author and the finisher of the story of your life, finish it and bring it to the close he has in mind. Seriously. David closes with this promise. Those who wait expectantly for the Lord will be given the earth. And they will be happy. And they will have abundant peace. Abundance. Happiness. Peace. For those who rest in the Lord and wait patiently. I can wait. Oh, what God's got cooking, I can only imagine. But I can wait. I can wait confidently. I can wait in peace. He'll move in his own good time. Until then, I'm just going to praise him. Say with me, trust, delight, commit, rest. That's God's remedy for being delivered of a fretful mind. Can we stand up?
God really is good all the time. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you that you're in charge, Lord. I thank you for your good. I'm getting feedback, Sean. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just pray right now in Jesus' name that you will help us to lean the whole of our being onto you and trust you. Forgive us, Lord, for doubting you, grumbling against you, murmuring. Lord, help us to trust you when things aren't going our way and help us to put on that yoke. Now, I want to just talk to you with your heads bowed. Some of you have, like that man in the first service, you've drifted from the Lord. He was very honest with me, tears in his eyes. He prayed, and he put that yoke back on. He said, I want to, put, I want to yoke myself to Jesus Christ. I want to walk with him. And some of you need to do that afresh and anew. And I'm not even going to call you down. I want to pray with you right where you are. But can I encourage you? Don't live in turmoil. Don't live in war with God. Put his yoke upon you. Submit to that lordship. Give him the decisions, great and small. Obey him in your life. And you will find rest in the Lord. And you'll find you're able to wait patiently for him. So with your heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor, that's me. I want you to raise your hand where the Lord can see you. I need to put that yoke back on. I see you. God bless you. Many people throughout this sanctuary. I want you to pray this with me, and everybody is welcome to pray it with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead that I could be delivered from sin and Satan and myself. I ask you to forgive me for throwing off the yoke. I take it upon me. I receive the yoke of your Lordship over my life. Take over the steering wheel, Lord, and guide me from this moment forward. In Jesus' name.